Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School in Bourbonnet, Illinois. This is the sermon for April 7th, 2019, the fifth Sunday of Lent. It is entitled, The Best Laid Plan, and is based on Luke, chapter 20, verse 9 through 20. It was preached by Pastor Mike Hamill. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and the actions of our lives be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Have you ever heard the saying, real men have scars? I, I don't know exactly what it's supposed to convey. I guess this sort of idea that uh, a, a real macho guy is rugged, he's outdoorsy, he's not afraid of a little bit of danger, things that might end up wounding him, giving him those lasting scars. That might be true, but as I think about it, sometimes the scars that we have are not so much because we're real and not afraid of danger, it's because we're not very bright. Sometimes the scars that we carry would better be associated with the phrase, I don't think that's such a good idea. I have one such scar on my hand. Um, when I was younger, my older brother had a Swiss Army knife, and I was not allowed to play with it. He was three years older, so he could do that, but I was not old enough yet. Well, one day, when he wasn't around, me, the smart little brother, knew exactly where that Swiss Army knife was in his room, I went to get it. And I happened to need it. I, I had a knot in one of my shoes, and so I was going to use that knife to get that knot out. Except the knife slipped and went straight into my hand. Fortunately, it was a minor wound. didn't kill me. It just left a scar. Have you ever done anything foolish? Have you ever done anything where you could look back on it and say, yeah, I don't think that was such a good idea? We all have. And I think in the annals of history, in the annals of all of those not-so-good ideas, our gospel reading today really tops them all. See, in the gospel reading, Jesus tells a story, a parable, and in this story, we have an owner of a vineyard who goes away. He rents out, well, he not rents out, he, he gives that land, the vineyard, to some tenant farmers. They are to watch over it, to produce the fruit, and then at harvest, give him his share. But these tenant farmers have a not-so-bright idea. When it's time for that harvest, the owner sends some of his servants, and instead of giving that portion of the crop that is his due, they instead beat, abuse, and mistreat these servants. Finally, the owner sends his son, and these farmer tenants have this incredibly bright idea, let's kill the son. If we do that, then we'll get the inheritance. Really? Is that really how it's going to work? As Jesus tells the story, everybody knows this is an incredibly stupid 
idea. When Jesus asks, what should this owner do with these tenant farmers? The answer is crystal clear. Eye for an eye, life for a life. He should put these wicked tenants to death. Their best laid plan turns out to be not a very good idea, but their own death sentence. I mean, what did they think was going to happen? As it turns out, this isn't just a hypothetical story, though, is it? As Jesus tells this story and speaks to his audience, the people there know exactly what Jesus is talking about and to whom he is talking. The guilty parties feel that guilt. The teachers of the law and the chief priests know that Jesus is talking about them. They are the ones who have rejected God's clear word of Scripture. They are the ones who have rejected Jesus. They have rejected Jesus, who is God's cornerstone in his plan of salvation. They have put themselves up against God, and they're not backing down. The really stupid thing is that when they hear the story, they don't say, yeah, we we need to straighten up. We need to stop doing this. No, they double down, and they actually enact the very thing the tenant farmers did in the story. They begin to make their plots to bring Jesus' life to an end. Now, it's hard to say exactly why they're doing what they're doing. Their motives have to be somewhat complex. I mean, you would think that would have been the wake-up call that they needed. But it seems that these chief priests and teachers of the law weren't so much focused on God and earning his favor. In fact, they weren't even thinking about receiving God's favor. They were thinking on building up their own righteousness through their own deeds. They thought what they would do would be pleasing to God because who was this Jesus guy anyway? He he was just some teacher but he wasn't teaching god's word the things that jesus was teaching were contrary to what the teachers of the law were teaching so he must be stopped but their motives become more complex when you hear about their interactions with jesus See, they don't want to stop jesus right then and there because they know that jesus is pretty popular with the crowds And these people, they don't want to do anything to lose the crowd's favor. See, when it comes down to it, they weren't so much worried about what God thought as what the people around them thought. They thought that they were set on a a winning way if they kept the crowds behind them. But what they didn't realize is that they were putting themselves more and more in the disfavor of God. And they weren't the only ones. In our epistle reading today, we hear some words from Paul. 
And Paul says that he had set his own life on this same pattern of winning, of winning God's favor by his own righteousness. And his righteousness was built on the same kind of ideas of these teachers of the law and the chief priests, that that he took pleasure and pride in the things of his flesh, in his accomplishments. But in so doing, he was actively opposing God's plans. Saul, Paul, was set on killing God's messengers, on stoning some of those first Christians who dared to proclaim that Jesus was their crucified and risen Savior. Until one day, Paul had that Damascus Road experience. And suddenly, Paul realized that God loved him. That God loved him and forgave him despite his many sins. Despite the fact that he had shown himself to be one of those wicked and foolish tenant farmers of Jesus' parable. When Paul realized this, he said of his old ways, it's all rubbish, garbage, worthless. Because he now realized the righteousness that he had that came from God because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, he was forgiven. Because of Jesus, he was a new man. Because of Jesus, he had a new future to look forward to. As he lived and breathed, he strained on, knowing that one day he would even receive that resurrection of his flesh when Jesus would return. I guess as we consider that story, and as we consider Paul's reaction to the Jesus who told that story, Maybe it's not enough to think about that story as simply a story of judgment, a story of the foolishness of those wicked tenant farmers. In fact, maybe the story is really a story about God's foolishness, about the foolishness of God's amazing grace. That God, who is that owner of the vineyard, would do such things that we would say, really? I don't think that's such a good idea. Because put yourself into that story. Imagine that you are the son of the owner of that vineyard. Now, after you have seen three of your servants come back from that vineyard, treated shamefully, beaten up. And your dad says to you, well, I guess there's nothing else to do except to send you. You go get the fruit. They're going to respect you. Are you kidding? Would you be that son that says, all right, dad, sure, I'll go do it? I don't think so. Everybody who heard Jesus's story, they were cringing and saying, no, don't do it. Don't send your son, at least not without some protection, not without police or an army or weapons of some sort. They're not going to respect your son. Come on. 
But the story Jesus is telling isn't just a hypothetical story. It is the real-life story of God's illogical grace. That grace that does not make much sense to us. That grace that we would say, really? Is that your plan? That, that doesn't seem very good. It seems like it's going to only end in failure. They're just going to take advantage of you. We would say about God's ideas, that's not such a good idea. But this is God's way. This is God's best laid plan. And this is the plan of our salvation. This is the story of how Jesus comes into this world of sinners. And he comes into this world with 20-20 vision. Crystal clear. He knows exactly what is going to happen. But more than that, he knows why he has come. He has come to save us. He has come to bring us a righteousness that we would never have on our own. Jesus is coming unto his own death. He is coming to be shamefully mistreated thrown out of the city and killed. Jesus is coming to die on the cross. And the crazy part of it is that the Son doesn't come begrudgingly. He doesn't put up a fight. He doesn't say, Dad, are you really sure that's the best idea? No. He comes in joy. He comes willingly. He comes knowing in his mind and heart that this is the best idea ever. Because this is the only way, the only way that we will be saved. See, the story that Jesus is telling is a story that tells us that our God, the owner of the vineyard, is not bent on destruction. Instead, he is bent on salvation. Now, to be sure, that punishment that Jesus talked about is very real. To those who stand opposed to God's plans, there will be a punishment. There will be judgment. But Jesus told the story in such a way that that did not have to be the way that you heard the story. You could have heard the story and instead realized the foolishness of your own way, the foolishness of opposing God, so that you would realize instead the foolishness of God, the foolishness of His grace, that God, despite your plans, was providing a new plan, a new way for your salvation. See, our God is not doing something old. He's not doing something according to the old ways of this world and the old ways of our thinking. Our God on the cross has done a new thing. Because our God is not bent on destruction, but bent on salvation, He's not willing to simply say, forget it. Destroy the vineyard, enough of this. No. He says, if they won't take care of the vineyard, I'll find someone else who will. 
And that's exactly what he does. Jesus gives the vineyard to us. To the church. To us who are built on that cornerstone of God's salvation. The cornerstone of Jesus Christ. We are his new creation. We are that new thing that God is doing. So maybe, maybe as we consider our own lives, we should really think. Are we trying to do things our way? If so, maybe someday we'll end up saying, I don't think that was really a good idea. This life is much more about earning our scars and showing off our own bravado. Instead, our life is about pointing to the scars of a real man, Jesus. The scars that won for us our salvation. And we who are built on the cornerstone of Jesus live in this vineyard. Live as a part of God's salvation to live in that salvation, but to share the fruits to share the fruits of this salvation to others. In other words, to proclaim God's love and wonderful salvation in Jesus, God's own Son. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and risen Savior. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School in Kankakee, Illinois. You can find this and other podcasts by going to stpaulslutheran.net and clicking the sermons button at the top of the page. Thank you for listening and God's blessings.